Okay, good morning, morning. folks in Five Oaks, and good morning to those who are watching us online this morning. Uh, I'm Philip Verling. Becky and I have been coming to Five Oaks for a number of years, and a few weeks ago, we, Pastor Henry and I were talking uh, just in the lobby, and uh, we were talking what follows. I asked a simple question, what follows... Um, Second Peter, what are you going to do in the fall? And he says, well, we have this gap week. So then he said, how about we do a sequel to Second Peter? And he said, Philip, you, didn't you do a paper once on Jude? And I said, I did. He goes, fine. How about you take a shot at it then? And <laughs> so I know my mom's watching. Sorry, mom, no reflection on you. But when I was in college, I had a question. I wanted to know... Why are we accepting and taking this Bible as authoritative in our life? Am I just believing it's the faith of my parents that have given to me? Or is this something I'm going to entrust my life in? So when I was in college, my roommate and I decided to let's explore it. So we got up extra early on Sunday mornings. We usually would go to at least one, maybe two churches. Uh, We got kicked out of some. Again, mom, not a reflection of you. But... We then said, let's study Jude. Because Jude has some crazy stories. When we st- looked at it over this summer, Second Peter, there were things that were really strange there. Jude is, takes it up a notch. Things that we don't totally understand. I came with that experience of studying Jude and being totally amazed, not only of the authority of scripture, its relevance to lives, its practicality, and just a standard by which we could live in. And when I did that with Jude, then it just gave me a deeper appreciation of using these 66 books as our guide. So today I'm glad as a person to be with you and be able to share part of this story and part of Jude. I have a daily routine each morning. I like to have two cups of espresso and I like to read the Wall Street Journal and I like to read the New York Times. By reading both of those, and we can put the slide up, by reading both of those, um, it's fairly consistent in getting two different worldviews. And then I realized the intense emotions and diversity and divisions that we have. Recently, Adam Kirsch wrote on the Saturday Review um, an article called The Power of Our New Pop Myths. And what caught my attention was that he was asking in the article, why are we drawn to these stories? What keeps us coming back and wanting more? For example, in the Spider-Man movie, we all know the basic story. Young kid gets bitten by a radioactive spider. He gains superpowers, and then he heals the world. That's the story. But Kirsch concludes in this, and he writes, Marvel, Star Wars, and other franchises have become central to our culture by returning to a primal form of storytelling. And then he asks these three questions. He says, this is what they're trying to resolve. Was I born for a purpose? Why does evil exist? What am I willing to give my life for? What attracts us to a sequel? You know, perhaps this summer you saw the, you saw the Top Gun, the Maverick, I saw it, loved it. 
Um, I had cardiac surgery uh, this summer or this or late spring. And uh, you don't watch Top Gun and then go into cardiac rehab the next day because they told me to keep the machine at six. And I looked at them and I said, uh-uh, I'm going for 10. <laughs> Every alarm went off and they didn't like my response. I'm only 200 feet from the ER. <laughs> Obviously, the reason why tracks is the sequels. We know the basic story. We know how the characters were. We want to see how they've evolved, how they've changed. We want to know this continuing story. And over the summer, we've been in this series on Second Peter entitled Dying Words. And this morning, I've been asked to share a few words to us as a sequel from a book that's only 25 verses, and it's located right before the last book of the Bible, Revelation. Jude's not a book that many pastors will preach from. It describes angels who have been placed in everlasting chains. Jude has a few verses there of a story between the archangel Michael and the devil disputing about what to do with the body of Moses. Try to find that in the Old Testament. You're not going to find it. But these were well-known stories during the time of Jude. And just like asking the same questions that we see in the Marvel movies, it's why we're looking at passages like this today and trying to answer the basic question. Was I born for a purpose? Why does evil exist? What am I willing to give my life for? Before we um, start and look at Jude, let me just uh, open with a word of prayer based on Psalm 125. Father, we come before you today in times that are just so divisive. Times where we're questioning, where is reality? Where is a basis of something that we can hold fast to? And we're reminded of your words to trust that those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. And Father, as we look around at everything that sometimes is confusing, again, we, we turn to scripture and we think of as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds the, his people both now and forevermore. So we also wanna to think today, Father, of our students that are going back to school be with them as they're moving in, protect them, give them the, the, the new disciplines, the new rhythms as they start a fall semester. We want to remember our families, also in Mississippi, brothers and sisters down there that are without water. Help them as the infrastructures are trying to repair that. And again, we pray and continue to pray for those in Ukraine. May this war come to an end soon. May the hurt and the damage just cease. May the church in Ukraine continue to provide the message of hope to those that are so desperate today. In Jesus' name, amen. Jude, as the sequel of Second Peter, what are we going to see? It's real simple. Peter warned things were going to happen. Peter says they're now happening. 
Jude then provides us with some illustrations here on how we can live a life. And for those that have been attending here at Five Oaks for a while, it's our custom and it's our belief that the Bible shouldn't be a mystery to us. The Bible is our guide on how to pursue a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's the Son of God. It's to give us a life of grace, a life to live among each other as a community. And that's why we open our Bibles. And I'd ask you to open your Bibles and turn to the book of Jude. In the Bibles in the front of the, your chairs, it's an easy page to remember for Jude. You'll always remember this. It's page 1234. Page 1234. No chapters in Jude, only 25 verses. Who is Jude? Let's look at reading in verse 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. We see Jude, he identifies himself by name. He says he's a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Peter used a similar introduction. He called himself a servant of Jesus Christ. We know that servant, when Pastor Henry was t preaching it, he described to us a servant is really describing someone that's a devoted follower of Jesus. So Jude uses a similar word, but then he says he's his brother of James. Who's James? We all know who James is. James in the New Testament is the brother of Jesus. So if Jude is the brother of James and James is the brother of Jesus, why doesn't Jude just say, I also am the brother of Jesus? James had already said it. Why didn't Jude just say it as well? <sighs> hmm. I think the reason is the simple reason. When Jude lived with Jesus as a sibling, he didn't believe in Jesus. So now as Jude's writing a book, he doesn't want to go back and say, hey, this is my brother I grew up with. No, he'll defer and he says, I was with James. James, everybody knew, was an influential Christian, early church leader. Jude just says, I'm the brother of James. Why do we think that? Why do you think Jude did that? I think it's because Jude was a doubter. I can only imagine what it must have been like growing up with a brother like Jesus. He did no wrong. We have a couple instances in the New Testament where there's an instance where they all went up as a family to Jerusalem. And then when it was time to go home, they discovered Jesus was missing. For three days, mom and dad, Joseph and Mary, are walking through Jerusalem trying to find their lost boy. They find him. They didn't ground him. They didn't put him on, you know, spank him or that. But it says when Mary found him, she treasured all these things in her heart. Any of you guys have siblings with the same thing? He gets away, he or she gets away with anything? Yeah. Jude probably also remembers the time there was family intervention. The Jewish leaders said, this man Jesus, he's possessed by the devil. So he's talking to a crowd and the crowd says, Jesus, your mother and your family have come to take you home. Jesus had the audacity to say, 
Who are my mother and my brothers? Then he says, whoever does the will of my God is my brother, sister, and mother. That describes what Jude experienced growing up. He was a doubter. So what happened? The obvious question, the obvious answer, the resurrection. When Jude saw his brother hung on that, hanged on that cross, three days later, raised from the dead, Jude probably reflected on those past 20 plus years living with them and said, wow, I've been living with the Savior, the Son of God. So how are we to understand this little book? How do we understand Jude? And I want to build it around the theme of being kept by God. I think Jude's often neglected because of some of the stories and that Second Peter, you know, talks about similar things. But in the New Testament, getting a letter from Jude would have created interest. Because at that, by now, they know he's the brother of Jesus. The letter that would have been written on a scroll. And in the New Testament, as they opened, unraveled that scroll, they would have noticed a common theme. And it would have been like they would have seen in the first verse. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, a brother in James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. They would have also seen at the end of the scroll, in verse 24, it says, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence. That's a writing technique in the, uh, in that was used in the New Testament. We think of it, we sometimes call it the, the envelope concept. If you have the beginning of a letter and the end of a letter with key words, understand that whole letter in the same context. We do it with mail. Think of when we get mail in the post office or email. We can sort our mail by looking at the envelope. Look at the envelope, yep, junk mail. Do the same thing with email. Look at the subject, sometimes even the sender, and we just hit delete. Because by looking at the subject or the envelope, we sort of like have a guess of what that contents is gonna be. Well, in Jude, when they opened that scroll, they saw this idea of kept, and they said, okay, Jude is telling us to understand what it means to be kept by God. A little more background on how to understand Jude. And I've highlighted some verses here in verse one and two. Jude, servant, brother, in blue, called, loved, kept, in green, Mercy, peace, love in red. What do you notice? Triplets. One, two, three. Jude, servant, brother, called, loved, kept. Mercy, peace, love. That is a writing technique that predates New Testament and is still used today. I can give you a few examples. Go back a little ways. Abraham Lincoln. Of the people, by the people, for the people. Thomas Jefferson, we'll go the other way. Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, triplets. One more. Uh, Julius Caesar, I came, I saw, I conquered. Triplets. Why are triplets used? Triplets allow us to express concepts, emphasize points, 
and increase the memorability. It's a writing technique. I just used a triplet to actually explain a triplet. <laughs> but but we, did, we do it so naturally. I counted once in the book of Jude 16 triplets. Maybe that's why it's somewhat so complicated because you could just spend tons of time here trying to unpack it, understanding that each triplet would have been known to the reader and trying to tell a story. Today, though, my focus is going to be on that second triplet called loved and kept with the emphasis on kept. A lot of times we understand called and loved and we've had lots of sermons on called and loved. But Jude seems to want to emphasize this word keep. The idea of being kept by God is a concept that was known to Jews. Several times a year, the, the Jewish people would have to walk up to Jerusalem for the sacrifices, Passover, and some of the other feasts. And as they did that, there's a passage in the Psalms that's known as the Psalms of Ascents. And these are a series of Psalms that the people would recite or sing as they walked that path, a lot of times from Jericho up to Jerusalem. And Psalm 121, uses the word watch, our NIV translates it as watch or keep. It's the same word, NIV just makes it sometimes a little easier to, to read. It says, he who watches over you will not slumber. He who watches over Israel, he, the Lord watches over you. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming. In that short Psalm, the number of times that keep or watch is mentioned is quite remarkable. So as the people are walking up, and if you've been to, up to Israel, you look up those mountains, and up on the mountains, you see all the different idols that the pagan, god, that the pagan gods were. And yet as the Jewish people would walk up there, they would recite Psalm 21. No, we are kept by God. He watches over us. We are kept by God. He will protect us from harm. We are kept by God. He's watching over his life. Our God does not slumber. Our God does not sleep. So this word watch or keep really has a twofold meaning. The first meaning is that we're under the watchful care of God. We're in his hands. We're in his present possession. It's a double nuance. The second concept of being kept or under God's watch is having the ability to provide us with the safe custody, the means to do it. The word can describe our current status or it can describe something of how it's being accomplished. 13 years ago, our first grandson was born. He was born a little premature, actually quite premature. He was born at 23 weeks. He was kept in NICU for 171 days. You could not get into NICU unless you were authorized, unless you went through certain scrubs and followed their rules religiously. While he was in NICU, he was under their watchful care. NICU also had all the equipment. They had the ventilators, they had the oxygen, they had the surgical teams, they had the nursing staff, they had the means to keep him alive and to allow him to mature. 
That's the concept that's being communicated here. That Jude wanted to communicate, give them the assurance that even during these days that Second Peter had, or Peter had told them that we're coming, that we're under the watchful care of God and he is going to keep us. So being kept by God is a promise of being under God's watchful care and that Jesus will be with us, able to keep us from stumbling. That's the central message of Judah. So how are we to live then? That's the question we're gonna wrestle with. In this small book, 25 verses, not even a second chapter, how's it relevant to 2022? Jude actually provides five examples of how to live during these days. In the original language, the grammar uses a mood that's called the imperative mood. The imperative mood is, we sometimes will translate it as a command, but sometimes it's to give it an extra emphasis. It calls out something. The, the Jewish people would have read this, they would have seen the grammar immediately. And in this passage that I'm gonna read, the imperative is used five times. So in the next few minutes, we're gonna look at five imperatives that Jude gives us on how to leave, how to embrace this idea of being kept by God. If you turn to me to verse 17. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts, do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others, show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. The first command, the first imperative is really found in verse 17. It's the word remember. Remember what the apostles foretold. Let's be honest, that sounds a little lame to have a command to remember. It's an emphasis to recall what Peter said. But let's just look real quick at verse three of why. Verse three, dear friends, Although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. Jude is eager to write, compelled to write, urged them to contend, a triplet again, for their faith. He's actually telling them, there's a time to be contentious. The word contend is a unique word used in the, in the New Testament. It's actually a military word. It's a word in the military to say, fight at all costs, hold the line. So that would have been a strong word they would have seen. Hold this position at all costs. But what Jude is giving us is he's gonna give us several reasons for when to fight, when to be contentious. And that's what we see in, in Jude 4. Certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of, 
of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Okay, Peter warned us, false teachers were going to come. Jude says they've actually secretly slipped in. And he accuses them of perverting the grace of God into a license for immorality. And they're denying that Jesus Christ is sovereign Lord. One's a doctrinal issue. He's saying all the claims that Jesus made, don't believe them. They're denying that Jesus was the son of God. They're denying that our salvation has anything to do with Jesus. That's the doctrinal issue that Jude is describing. The second is a lifestyle issue. Peter mentioned this as well. Peter's talked about the sexual immorality and Jude says they're telling us to live a life of sexual immorality. If we look later in verses like 10 or 16, he actually says these people are also grumblers, fault finders, boasters, flatterers. And in verse 10, he compares them to irrational animals. So what's the main point? Main point is remember, remember, but don't panic. There is a time for us to live out our faith, to be contentious, especially when it comes to times where they're denying that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. However, what we're going to see in the next four commands, being contentious doesn't require judgment on us. Remember, main theme in Jude, kept by God. This isn't a time to freak out. It's not a time to make rash decisions. It's not a time to begin to calculate the number of days before Christ is coming again. Take a quick look at verse 9. One of these passages that we don't see in the Old Testament, but it was a story that was known during this time. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Okay, if anybody had the ability and the power and authority to condemn Satan, we know it'd be the Archangel Michael. But Archangel Michael says here, no, the Lord rebuke you. There's a time for judgment. Archangel Michael says, not now. The Lord will rebuke you. So what does that mean for us? We see it in the second imperative. The second imperative is in verse 20 and 21. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you eternal life. We're seeing that word keep again. That's that theme. Jude's going to keep unpacking it. He stated in the beginning of the book that we're kept by being kept by God. He now commands us to keep ourselves in the love of God. So how do we keep ourselves in the love of God? Jude actually unpacks that with a triplet. Of course he would use a triplet. And the first one is building yourself up in your most holy faith. Verse 20, dear friends, building yourself up in your most holy faith. What does building imply? We saw a little bit of that on the fog. You know, building implies it's not a finished product. Building (laughs) implies that it's something that we've got to do continually. How do we do this at Five Oaks? How do we build up our faith here at Five Oaks? Daily Bible reading. Small groups. Story of God. 
various ministries we participate in worship, uh, in partnership, attending the worship service, all of those are helping us build up our faith. That's what it implies to build up our faith. The second way we keep ourselves in the love of God is by praying in the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to pray in the Holy Spirit? First, it means that God is active. Philippians writes, or Paul writes in Philippians, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about everything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. In Colossians, Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Later, Paul mentions Epaphras. He says he sends his greetings to you and he describes Epaphras as one who is always wrestling in prayer for you. Wrestling is a struggle. Think of wrestling. It takes energy, takes discipline, takes practice. When I think of a wrestling match, I think of two individuals entering a contest, believing in their ability, and then yielding to the stronger person. Think of praying somewhat of a wrestling match. You're willing to struggle. Maybe first thinking, do I really need to pray? I can do this. But then you're willing to wrestle with that until you're willing to say, I need the power of the Holy Spirit. He promises the peace of God. I want to align myself with God. The third way to keep ourselves in the love of God is to wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. See then verse 21, keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow, waiting is difficult. Almost impossible at times for me. But when we think of waiting, oftentimes we think of it as just delayed gratification. On the other hand, waiting has the sense in the Bible that we're not alone. It affirms that God is acting. And when the Bible says to wait, it's a sense, it comes with a sense of expectation. We're waiting for God to act. Let's pause for a moment. He wrote these words, keep yourself in God's love. What new disciplines should we be pursuing to keep ourselves? Is it time to maybe join that small group to begin daily Bible reading, get involved in a service project, attend worship services? None of these are gonna merit our salvation, we all know that. But it does demonstrate a receptive heart that desires to have God as central to our life. Praying in the Holy Spirit. For many of us, myself included, praying is a struggle. It is a wrestling match. It's hard not to get distracted, to maintain alertness. Oftentimes we feel like failures when it comes to prayer. Jude reminds us though that praying in the Holy Spirit is just asking the Spirit to be active in our lives Therefore, we make our requests known. We yield our ability to one who's able. 
And finally, to have the expectation of the mercy of God, we don't have to do it alone. In fact, if we really think about it, building up our faith, we can't really do it alone. We have to do it as community. First imperative was remember. The second imperative was to keep ourselves in the love of God. The first two imperatives are really talking about our inward preparation. These next three are really telling us what do we have to do? It's a shift to an outward focus. That third uh, imperative is be merciful to those who doubt. That's verse 22. Be merciful to those who are wrestling with their faith. Oftentimes when we think of doubt, we think of it as more of a, of a denial. We think of it as an intellectual um, activity where we doubt this, we just don't believe it. However, the word that's used here in the original language in, really talks about the idea of wavering, the idea of, again, of wrestling, of an internal struggle. These people are wrestling with themselves. Oftentimes we have doubt and we believe that we're, we're disappointing God. But doubt is just saying we're wrestling with something. We're trying to understand. We're trying to put where reality is and what we think. And we're trying to say, where is God active in that? And Jude says, be merciful to those who are wavering, to those who are doubt. Wow, Jude said that. If anybody is looking in the mirror, it'd be Jude. Because Jude said, I was there. I heard Jesus. I talked to Jesus. Some of the things I'm a little ashamed of what I told Jesus. And Jesus showed me mercy. And now I'm telling you, be merciful to those who are wavering in their faith. Don't judge these people. No need to dump condemnation on them. God gave us mercy. Judas saying, give them mercy. Just as we expect our God to be merciful to us, we are to show mercy to those who have this internal struggle. The next imperative, imperative number four, is found in Jude 23. Save others by snatching them from the fire. What does snatching from the fire mean? I've got three ideas. We all have it. We use this sometimes. We say, be careful. You're playing with fire. You're going to get burned. We talk about somebody who might be doing something a little destructive or on that path, and we say, be cautious. In the Rearling household, snatching from the fire has a different meaning. In 1998, we had a house fire. Actually, it was a rather large house fire. The house had to be rebuilt. Um, but for us, snatching the fire was when the Woodbury Fire Department was running through our house, snatching as much as they could off the walls, throwing everything in the middle, then throwing a fire blanket on top of it, trying to save as much, and then find the cat. And they found the cat. Um, but that's what snatching. That snatching has a sense of intensity, a sense of urgency. But I think Jude might actually be recalling a passage from Zechariah, one of the prophets. Because in Zechariah, there's a story of the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and God. And Satan is accusing the high priest of just being unworthy. 
And in Zechariah 3, God intervenes. He rebukes Satan. And then he says these words. Isn't this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? The story then continues with a prophecy that God will send his servant called the branch and take away the sins of the land in a single day. I think as Jude was looking at that and said, that was me too. And this servant, this branch turned out to be my brother. The prior imperative was be merciful to those who doubt, discussed a person who had this internal struggle, wrestling with their faith. I believe Jude is now describing a person who has just given up. Rescue those who feel unworthy. That's what I think he's meaning by snatching from the fire. They're unwor- they feel unworthy. They're discouraged. They, see, they don't see hope. Perhaps this person's looking at their past. Perhaps it's their present situation. They're saying to themselves, I'm not good enough to please God. God's not going to accept me. I have too much shame. I feel the condemnation of God. They've been burned. Maybe they've been burned by the church. Jude says clearly, snatch him from the fire. The words are clear and direct. And some other translations, instead of using save, the other word for uh, save is rescue. Rescue them. The last imperative is from Jude 23. To others, show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. The word for clothing here is actually the word, it's actually the word for underwear. That's what it basically is. And so what it's really saying is for those people that have exposed themselves, that maybe they've shown you their vulnerabilities, They've, they've brought you into their confidence and they're showing you as they say, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. Jude is telling us, I think, you're seeing their hidden life. It's illustrated by their, their undergarment there. And he demands that we continue to show them mercy. Yet we need to be repulsed by these circumstances. Don't allow it to be stained you. I think to break this command down easy, it's easy to say it this way. Show mercy. Maintain your boundaries. That's a hard one to put in practice because our natural reaction would be, can't we just be friends? But this person has made destructive life choices. We're not to judge them. We're to show mercy. But we have to understand what those boundaries are. This is the sequel of Jude. Many themes we talked about in dying words over the summer. Ungodly leaders, we've heard that. Denying the claims of Jesus. Ungodly leaders encouraging a lifestyle that's destructive. Jude says, contend for your faith, don't judge. God's going to eventually do that. In the context of reminding his readers of the time, the message for us is just as relevant. Remember, we're under that watchful care of God. And Jesus is our helper, is able to keep us from stumbling. He then gives us these five imperatives. Remember the times that we're in. 
Build up our faith. Be merciful to those who are wrestling with their faith. Rescue those who feel unworthy. Walk alongside those who are willing to show you their vulnerability, but be careful you don't adopt their lifestyle. Maintain your boundaries. In September, the leaves are gonna change. They are already. School will begin. Football season begins. You Viking fans will have renewed hope. <laughs> Packer fans just have expectations and anticipation. And I'm neither. Our schedule's gonna get busy. We pray and hope for more snow this winter and less COVID. Several years ago, I got this voicemail that I still keep on my phone. It was from a good friend. He said, hey, Philip, I couldn't get through to you, your cell. I'm going up into town shortly. And when I come back, I'll be here for the rest of the day. So look forward to chatting. Bye. He was short of words, too. I called him back, and he was a great friend. And he said, Philip, I want to spend one day with you. We can do it in California. His house was on the Pacific Ocean overlooking uh, where whales and sea lions, we could sit on the rocks. Or he said he'd come to Minnesota where he would likely freeze. <laughs> I told him the snow has melted, uh, but I would still come to California. He didn't want to discuss any business deals this time. I said, why? What do you want to talk about? He goes, I want to talk about your spiritual journey. And I said, okay, why? He goes, I just talked to my brother the other day. He's one of those fundamentalists. He told me I was going to hell. I told him I'd see him there. And I hung up on him. Now I'm calling you. My friend here was quite into world religions. He'd been to Cambodia, he'd been to China, he'd been to Japan, he'd been to Peru, he'd been to Tibet. Tibet. He even went to Antarctica to see, see the penguins. But he says, Philip, you're not religious, you're spiritual. I said, what's the difference? He goes, you and I can talk and disagree and try to understand and you're not judging me and I'm not judging you. So we tried to set a date. It had to be a month down the road because he was headed to New Zealand. He owned a vineyard in New Zealand and he wanted to bring in the first harvest. His wife called me the next day. He had a hemorrhagic stroke that night. Because of his belief, he said no intervention at all and he died three days later. Yes, I, I, I imposed self-guilt on myself. That's another topic. Like on that call, should I have shared more of my testimony versus just making an appointment? As I think about it, I say, what, what did he really want to talk about? Was he wrestling with internal doubts? Did he feel unworthy after speaking with his brother who had judged him? Was he engaged in some activity that he felt comfortable to talk to me? I don't think that was it. But these are the days of Jude. So I ask you, who's calling you? I'm an introvert. So you have to call me. But for you extroverts out there, <laughs> yeah, you know who you are. Who are you going to call? As we prepare to take communion this morning,
a few thoughts. Have you ever gone through a day realizing that you're kept by God? Perhaps some of you are wrestling with this Jesus relationship. Take comfort that Jude, the brother of Jesus, wrestled with him as well. Having doubts is not a denial of faith. More often than not, it's just a means of showing that we need to continually depend on Jesus, building up our faith each day. Perhaps some of you out there are feeling unworthy. You feel the guilt. Communion is a symbol of all that Jesus has done for us. And for many of us today, it's a remembrance of all that Jesus has accomplished for us. As Jesus had his last Passover meal with the disciples, he took the bread, if you'll open it, and he said to them that he was eagerly desired to have this Passover with them before he had to suffer. So as we look at the bread, give thanks and say, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After that, he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Drink all of it. Father, we, um, we thank you for keeping Jude under your watchful care as he wrestled with his doubts over who his, over your son and his brother was. It had to be an awesome experience for Jude when he took that first communion with other fellow believers that a tradition that we have kept now for 2,000 years, recognizing that we are kept by you. And as we enter this new week, as we build up our faith, you will continue to walk alongside of us. Thank you for that assurance today. Amen.